The following sermon by Nelson Atwood was recorded at Noble Park Evangelical Baptist Church. For more information, please visit their website at www.noblebaptist.org.au That's www.noblebaptist.org.au Well, if you have a Bible with you, and I hope and pray that you do, open again to the book of uh, Isaiah. We looked a few weeks back at Isaiah 42, the first of the servant songs, and I want to take a few weeks now to look at the the second of the servant songs. We read earlier Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 13, as that servant song. And just as we begin our message this morning, we're going to focus on the first four verses, so I want to read them again. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples, from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, He has made mention of my name. And He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of His hand, He has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In His quiver, He has hidden me. And He said to me, You are my servant. O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. And surely my just reward is with the Lord and with my work and my work with my God. And we trust that God will add blessing to the reading of his precious word. How do we finish the race of the Christian life and ministry all the way to the very end? even in the face of difficult circumstances. What enables us, what enabled Christ, the servant son, to do that? This second servant song in Isaiah 49, verses 1 to 13, is his recounting of his service from the perspective of looking back on it. And the key thing we want to learn from Christ, the, His servant's retrospective on His finished service, it fits perfectly with the main message of the book, which is trusting the Lord in the face of difficulties. The book of Isaiah asks a great question of its readers. Will you trust in the Lord? And Isaiah's prophecy repeatedly emphasizes to the reader the trustworthiness of the Lord their God, their covenant God, our covenant God. In the first main section of Isaiah, chapters 1 to 39, two kings are contrasted. There's two sets of circumstances in which both kings must decide whether or not they will trust the Lord. In 732 B.C., uh, Judah faced with an invasion from Syria and Israel, the kingdoms to the north of them. And the question lay before Ahaz was, would he trust the Lord to deliver the kingdom of Judah? And sadly, he did not. Instead, he trusted in the Assyrian kingdom, even further north, to deliver them from the invasion of Syria and Israel. Ahaz Uh, acted against the Lord's advice given to him through Isaiah's message. Assyria delivered Judah from the out of the fat of Syria and Israel and right into the fire of Assyria. Thirty years later, 
And Isaiah 28 to 37 records that Assyria invaded Judah itself. Now, would Hezekiah, the king then, trust the Lord to deliver Judah? And although Hezekiah initially trusted in Egypt, he did turn and trust the Lord instead in response to Isaiah's message um, from the Lord. He trusted and the Lord miraculously delivered Judah. So Ahaz and Hezekiah serve as examples and illustrations for the exiles who are going to be addressed in chapters 40 to 55. And the question for those exiles is, would they trust the Lord to send his promised servant, to send and set them free from exile, to send and reestablish a great kingdom, a promised kingdom? And the question for us this morning, as we would consider this servant song for today and the next few weeks, is will we trust the Lord by following the servant son's example? Jesus Christ is clearly the promised servant of God. He is the true Israel of God, serving the Lord in relation to Israel, the nation, Jacob, and the nations, plural, to bring and gather them all to God. We are, as believers in Christ, God's adopted children and servants of the Lord. Christ's ministry laid out here gives us instruction for trusting in the Lord throughout the whole of our lives of service. Now, someone might ask, if this isn't written specifically to us for our instruction, why should we take it and use it that way? I want you to notice, first of all, that in verse 1, the servant speaks and says, Listen, O coastlands, to me as he recounts to us his service for the Lord. Secondly, we as Christians are called to follow the Lord, to live according to the example that he left us. And third of all, all Scripture is given by God. All the Old Testament, all the writings, all the prophets, the New Testament Gospels, the histories, all of it together is given by God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction and instruction so that the man or woman of God is thoroughly equipped, equipped to follow the Lord, to serve the Lord. Every believer, every single one of us has a work of service or ministry to fulfill. And pastoral ministry is given to prepare and equip saints for the work of ministry. So when we hear his recounting of his service, the question we ask of ourselves is, will I trust the Lord and will I follow his example that he sets out before us? Well, first of all, we want to trust the Lord through preparation for service. So I want you to notice, I'm going to read from the second half of verse 1 and verse 2. It says there, the Lord has called me from the womb. From the matrix of my mother, he has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword, and so on. Christ, the servant, Son of God, was prepared by the Lord for his ministry. In verse 1, we can see that Christ was called from the womb to be the Savior of the world. 
In Matthew 1.21 and Luke 1.31, the Scriptures teach us that He was told to be named Jesus. He was called Jesus because He would save His people. Jesus means, as we know, Savior. In verse 1, Christ was named by the Father. I've mentioned before, it's worth repeating, that when we see in Bibles somebody given a name, the one who gives the name is displaying their authority over the one who is named. Christ is the servant's son. He lived in submission to God's authority over him. In verse 2, we see that Christ was prepared for his teaching ministry. I want you to notice, read that part again in verse 2. He has made my mouth like a sharp sword. In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft. In his quiver, he has hidden me. And then we see there uh, Christ's preparation for his ministry. Notice his mouth was made, made like a sharp sword. In John chapter 1, verses 1 to 5, Christ is called the Word of God become flesh. In Hebrews 4, verse 12, He is the Word of God, sorry, is described as a sharp, two-edged sword that can divide asunder, can cut down. In Revelation chapter 1 and verse 16, one of those beautiful, glorious pictures of Christ, He is described with a sharp, two-edged sword coming out of His mouth. And I'm convinced as I read this and read that, that that text is clearly referring to this one here. Christ came to preach the word and speak the truth with grace. Both the sharp sword and the polished shaft, which speaks of an arrow, perhaps a spear, both of them imply a deeply penetrating, cutting ministry in the use of his mouth to cut, to divide, and to heal perhaps like a surgeon's scalpel. As far as his divine nature goes, that making, preparing process would have been finished in an instant. But remember that Jesus is also truly man. Truly God and truly man. Two natures joined into one person. Neither nature overrides or mingles or blends with the other. They're two natures fastened together. And as a man, Jesus had to learn to read, to speak like any other Jewish boy. He studied and learned Scripture like every other Jewish boy his age. In his preparation for ministry, it took time and experience. I want you to notice something else here. Twice he repeats the phrase in verse 2, He has hidden me. Hidden me. Christ was hidden in God's hand for 30 years. 90% of his life was spent in obscurity. Hidden there carries the idea of safe and on reserve until the right time. Christ was prepared for ministry in obscurity. And the question sort of comes to mind why? Why wait so long? He's sinless, he's perfect. He is truly God and truly man. He didn't know what it was to sin. Why would it take so long to prepare him? And clearly we see at 12 years of age, he goes into the the, uh, temple there and he sits in the middle of all the teachers of the law and the scribes and the Pharisees and they're all gathered around him and he takes the place of a teacher. 
at 12 years of age. He's already displaying knowledge of the Word. Why wait? Well, Jesus learned obedience. He learned a trade. He worked in the hardness of life before His ministry. Experiencing those things sharpened and polished Christ for ministry. Why did the Lord not call Him from obscurity much earlier? We know, without a doubt, that the Lord's timing is absolutely perfect. And the Bible says also in Numbers chapter 4 and verse 3 that priests begin their public ministry at 30 years of age. That's coincidence, right? Of course not. Absolutely not. Christ began His public, priestly, prophetic service at 30 years of age. At precisely the right time, the Father drew Him from His quiver. He fitted Him to His bowstring and He launched Him off into ministry like an archer sending a prized arrow to do its work. Christ trusted the Father for when He would begin to serve. Christ is our example to follow. And just as He was prepared, as He was, like He says here, made like a sharp sword and made a polished shaft, so we, as the Lord's servants, plural, trust Him during our preparation. Just as Christ was called, so we're also predestined by God for salvation. From before the creation of the world, God chose us to save us and use us. We cannot serve without knowing Christ as Savior. The Gospel is, of course, that great message of how God saved us. Salvation comes through the Gospel message. It's the story that we as believers love to hear repeated again and again. God, the eternal God, is holy, righteous, just, and absolute goodness and good. God created us to have an unhindered joy through obedience to Him. God created us to glorify Him. But we've all disobeyed God. We've all failed to glorify Him. And God has justly condemned us to an eternal death for our disobedience. And that just condemnation is to an eternity in hell. And that's bad news. But, but God... Two greatest words in the Bible. But God intervened for us. And this is the good news of the Gospel. Christ came truly God and truly man. The only unique Son of God. Christ took our sin on Himself. He was judged and condemned for it. He suffered and died in our place, paying our penalty for us. Christ has been raised from death, proving He is God's Son. Christ now calls all of us to turn away from sin, to trust in Him alone, and to tr follow Him, to follow Him faithfully. Brothers and sisters, men and women, boys and girls, every single one of us, we are all sinners in need of saving. We need to be saved from the wrath of God which is surely to fall against us for our disobedience. And the call of the Gospel is to come to Christ to trust God to keep His promise of salvation. To come and seek the Lord diligently. He promises you'll find Him. 
couple of us, well, myself and two other people on two different occasions recently had a conversation about coming to Christ, about the Gospel and how it works to save us. And we made the comment, we come to the conclusion that in the Bible sees salvation as a case of a man seeking the Lord diligently. He hears the voice of God in his heart calling him to follow, calling him from sin to follow Christ. And that salvation is that beginning to seek the Lord diligently. Salvation, I am convinced, does not happen in a moment. Every single mother who has ever given birth to a child gives thanks to God that the whole process from, of labor from start to finish isn't over in a moment, in an instant. It takes time for that to happen. Brother and sister, my friend, listen to this message. Seek the Lord. Look for Him. Search for Him in the Scriptures. Cry out to God to find Him. I promise you, as the Bible says, you will find Him. He will open your heart to find Him. Come and find rest for your souls in Christ's love. Salvation is God's effective calling on us to come to Him. It's His command that imparts the power and the ability to obey. How is it that we can seek the Lord? Because we hear His voice saying, come and find Me. So first of all, that first step of preparation in 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 preparing us for service of the Lord, is we come to Christ. Just as Christ's name was called by the Father, so He calls us. And just as Christ submitted Himself to the Father's authority, so we too must learn to submit ourselves in obedience to Him. And granted, that is, in a sense, more difficult for us. We've lived lives of sinful disobedience in rebellion against God. Now we must learn to submit ourselves in obedience to God. We begin that submission process by submitting to baptism. Stepping out in obedience and submitting ourselves to the waters of baptism in the tank over there to display an, in an outward form an inner reality that Christ has changed us. Just as Christ was prepared for the work of ministry, so also God prepares us for the work of ministry through the local church. That preparation is like sharpening a sword, or in my context, a chisel. And to sharpen a, a chisel or a plane blade or a sword blade, at first we grind the blade on a grinding stone to remove unwanted, dull, useless metal and material. Repentance is like the grinding process. It's putting off the old man. It's grinding away that which is useless and defiling. Then we take that same chisel and we're working from rough sharpening stones all the way down to finer and finer and the finest honing stone. We grind away. We hone down that metal to, to make it in a fine, polished, sharpened edge. I love the conclusion process of sharpening a chisel. I have a buffing wheel. And I put that chisel on the buffing wheel and that sharpened edge becomes like a razor as it's polished and sharpened. So how does that happen in the spiritual life? The Word of God applied by the Holy Spirit is like that fine honing whetstone 
that polishes and transforms us from useless, dull, blunt material that's ground away and reshaped into a fine, polished edge. So how is it that God does that? God the Holy Spirit applies the Word of God to us. God the Holy Spirit also applies real-life circumstances to our lives to hone and sharpen us for use. Sickness, hardship, waiting, humbling failures in life. They're all used by God. Don't ever despair of the dark and difficult circumstances that God takes us through. The Spirit of God is using those circumstances as we deepen our trust in God, as we hold fast to Scripture. He's using them to sharpen us and polish us and prepare us for service. Just a little side here. If you don't read biographies of great Christian women and men of God, I urge you with all my heart, go down to Kuron, get on Reformer's website, buy books, buy biographies of great men and women of God. Actually, I shouldn't say that. It's not great men and women. It's men and women that a great God used for His purposes, and some of them were used greatly. And the reality is, as you read their lives, you'll see many of them suffered great hardships, difficulties. Uh, I've mentioned before, one of my heroes, Spurgeon, knew what it was to have gout through 90% of his body. Uh, David Brainerd and some of the hardships he went, on the, went through on the mission field. Other men and women all through life experienced great hardships. And the reality is that the Spirit of God uses those hardships to polish and hone and prepare us for service. And just as Christ was sent, a polished arrow, a sharpened sword, into the Lord's service, so also, at just the right time, young, middle-aged, old, doesn't matter what age, God sends us to the work. Don't despair. No matter what age you are, God can and will still use you for service. The greatest ability you offer to God in being used for His service is availability. The right time, God sends us to the work. We have the comfort of knowing God's timing for service is perfect. God hides us in His hand, selecting the time and place for service. God hides us in His hand, close to His heart that we learn what God is like as we walk close to Him so that when He sends us to the work, we're better able and equipped to prepare. One thing I should note here, we should note, unlike Christ, our preparation story for service continues all through this life. It goes on. Every single circumstance we go through is preparing us for the next one, even when we're already in ministry. Do we long to serve the Lord? Are we looking for ways to serve? Trust the Lord during that preparation. Trust the Lord through the hardships. Trust the Lord as you study and read Scripture. All of it is being used to prepare you, continuously prepare you and I for ministry. Trust the Lord and we get busy in preparation. We submit to the transforming work of God's Spirit in our life. And the experience of God's work on our hearts to transform us into Christ's image. Well, secondly, we trust the Lord to fulfill the purpose of service. Let's read verse 3. Look what he says. 
And he, that's the, the Lord speaking to the service, to, try it again. When he says, he said to me, it's the Lord speaking to the servant. And he says, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Two things I want you to notice there. My servant, I will be glorified. Christ was his father's servant sent to minister God's word of truth to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. The Bible says in Acts 3 verse 26 that God raised up his servant Jesus. In Acts 4:27, the disciples' prayer is in regard to your holy servant Jesus whom you anointed. As the perfect servant, Christ did all that God gave and commanded him to do. Jesus said in John 6:38, For I have come not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus said in John 14, verse 10, The words that I speak to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. He was under the Father's authority. Christ was the Lord's servant to do the Lord's will for His glory. Even when that meant suffering disrespect and mocking and slander and hatred and eventually severe physical violence, He was the Lord's servant to do the Lord's will for God's glory. The Lord's purpose in Christ's service was the glory of His name. Jesus said it Himself in John 17, verse 4, I have glorified you on the earth. I have finished the work which you have given me to do. Christ glorified His Father's name through His words and action. Notice also that Christ glorified His Father through trusting Him. You say, where is that? Well, there's two texts that give us this. First of all, in Romans 4.20, Speaking of Abraham, it says this, Abraham did not waver at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strengthened in faith, giving glory to God. Faith glorifies God by our total dependence. Faith glorifies God because God alone is our help. In 1 Peter 2 and 23, the second part of the verse Jesus, or Peter says about Jesus that when he suffered, he did not threaten, but continually entrusted himself to God. Christ glorified the Father by his faith in him. Now, we as believers, we are called to be the Lord's servants to glorify him. Jesus said in Matthew 10:25, it's enough for a disciple that he be like his teacher and a servant like his master. So just as Christ is the Lord's servant, so we are the Lord's servants. It's interesting, you read the New Testament, Paul, Peter, James, John, Jude, they all called themselves servants or slaves of Christ. First century Christians consider themselves to be Christ's slaves and servants. My striving here as I serve Christ at Noble Park Baptist, I serve here in this church. But my but Christ is the one who I am serving. Listen, we are to speak what God through His Word gives us to speak as we serve. And as we serve, we're to do what God 
through His Word, gives and commands us to do. We're not free to choose our own way through this life. We belong to Him. We are His servants. Paul said in, to the Corinthians, in 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20, You're not your own, for you are bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He owns us. Paul said in Romans 6, 17-18, But thanks be to God, that though you were slaves of sin, yet you obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which you were delivered. And having been set free from sin, you became slaves, servants of righteousness. That's in the second person plural. You, you, you. Let's read it again, but I want to put in we. But thanks be to God that though we were slaves of sin, and we certainly were, yet we obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine to which we were delivered. In other words, we obeyed the gospel. We heard the message. We sought Christ. We trusted in Him. We repented of sin. He goes on, verse 18, And having been set free from sin, we became slaves of righteousness. Brother and sister in Christ, we are not our own. We belong to Christ as His servants. Just as uh, the servant says in Isaiah 49.3, You are my servant. So we also, as servants, plural, are Christ's servants. We are the Lord's servants. As disciples of Christ, sons and servants and daughters of God, we're to finish the work of service He's given us to do. How are we going to do that? That's the same answer. Faith in Christ. By trusting God for the power and the direction to do all He asks. By faith. That's how we serve. By faith, we belong to Him. And by faith, we serve Him. Just as Christ's purpose in ministry was to glorify God, so also is ours. That famous verse in 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 31. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Well, that's a great thought, but how do we do it? Well, we do it by doing whatever we do in such a way that at the end of it all, He is honored, not us. So that when we finish Others are left seeing Christ and Christ alone. My wife uh, loves to watch these old uh, 17th and 18th century English dramas, the country houses, these rich, beautiful estates. And you see there they have the, the servants, the footmen in all their gear. And the goal and the idea of a footman as he served the dinner was to step back out of the, of the candlelight up against the wall. And the moment that he was needed, he would step forward and he would serve the meat or he would serve the bread or he would serve the wine or whatever he was supposed to serve. And the moment he was finished, he would step back out of the candlelight, back up against the wall so that the tension of the one he was serving was entirely upon what he was serving, the bread, the meat, the wine. It's the same for us. We serve, as we're about to see in a moment, the Word of God. 
but we do it in such a way that we lay the Word of God before the one we are serving and we step back out of the way so that their attention is focused entirely on the Word and the God of the Word, not the servant of the Word. We do it in such a way that He is honored, not us, so that when we're finished our service, others are left seeing Christ alone, not His servants. We fade back into the walls like a good waiter. God is glorified in us when we obey Him because obedience honors God's will over our own. And of course, the Lord Jesus sent the perfect example for this when He prayed, not my will, but thine be done. Knowing that what He was talking about in God's will was His own terrifically violent death. God is glorified in us when we serve in weakness. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, the words of Paul, he said, My grace is sufficient for you. My strength is made perfect in weakness. Serving in our weakness glorifies God because it is His grace and His strength, not our own, that gets us through. God is glorified in us when we delight in Him. The Bible says in Psalm 37, verse 4, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He shall give you the desires of your heart. That's circular. Do you notice that? When He is the delight of my heart. When I delight myself in the Lord, as we saw last two weeks, delighting in the law of the Lord, He gives us the desires of our heart. When He is the delight of our heart, He is also the desire of our heart. God is glorified in us when we trust in Him. We saw that when we are talking about the Lord Jesus. Romans 4, verse 20. Faith that glorifies God. Faith glorifies God by our total dependence on Him. Faith glorifies God because He alone is our help. Faith glorifies God because it's an abandonment of all but Him to accomplish the deed. Do the work. Enable us to serve. Faith is throwing ourselves entirely upon Christ and resting fully in Him to do the work in us and through us. We trust the Lord as we follow His example in our service. It's faith that glorifies God. Well, notice thirdly, we trust the Lord through the practice of service. Let's read again back in verse 1. Notice what the servant says. Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples, from afar. The Lord has called me, and so on. Those two things there. Listen, take heed, and secondly, he says, to me. Notice, by the way, just take your Bible and look down. You'll see how many times the word me or my comes up in these verses. It's Christ's retrospective on his own ministry. Christ served the Lord by the proclamation of God's Word to Israel. Primarily that way. Now, listen to me. It's interesting because when we go to the book of Hebrews, chapter 1 and verse 1 and 2, we read there, God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us in Son. 
the, the Son of God, His words, His life, everything about Him was God's communication of Himself to us. In Mark chapter 9, verse 7, up on the Mount of Transfiguration, you see the, the three close friends of Jesus and, and Christ is transfigured before them. His, his clothing becomes white like glistening white garments and, and Moses and Elijah appear there with them. And Peter, as usual, opens mouth and inserts foot. He doesn't know what else to say. He says, let's build three tabernacles, one for you, one for Moses and one for Elijah. The cloud comes and overshadows them. And the Father's voice speaks out saying, This is my beloved Son. Listen to Him. And I'm sure that's a reference right back here to Isaiah 49.1. Listen to Christ. In Mark 1.37-38, Jesus rises early after a very busy day, late into the night of ministry and teaching and healing and cleansing and uh, casting out demons. And he goes off early by himself to pray. And the disciples, when they found him, they said to Jesus, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. Preaching, proclaiming, teaching, sharing the word of God. Christ's service was through the preaching of God's Word to God's people. Now, yes, of course. Christ also healed diseases and cleansed lepers. He raised the dead. He miraculously fed thousands. He called fish into a net and so on. But I would argue that just like Moses' rod in Pharaoh's court and Elijah's Mount Carmel sacrifice where even the water was licked up by the fire and Elisha's floating axe head, God performed all those miracles through His servant Christ to attest or to display His approval of the person of Christ and the validity of His message. It's throughout the Bible. Miracles are performed to display the validity of the message of the one who performed the miracles and preached and teached. Same with Jesus. The miracles He did displayed His power as God in their midst with authority to preach and teach and command repentance and so on. So just as Christ served in the proclamation, guess what? We serve the Lord primarily through the proclamation of the Word. Matthew 15.24, Jesus was sent to lost sheep of Israel and He has commissioned us to go as His servants, as missionary extensions of local churches to go across the street to the coastlands, which is just a, a euphemism for distant places, to far-off peoples. Like He said in Acts 1 and verse 8, You will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. They were sent. I want to pick up one thing I said a moment ago. As missionary extensions of local churches, Christian men and women are not out there on their own, lone wolves doing their own thing. All of us are to be part of a local church and local churches send missionaries out to the work in far off places or across the street for that matter. In Colossians 1, 28 and 29, most pastors and preachers love this one. He says, we preach Christ 
warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom so that we may present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. To this end, I labor, striving according to His working which works in me mightily. We serve by preaching, teaching, sharing, witnessing Christ, the Word of God, to see men and women transformed into Christ's image. We serve by proclaiming the Word. 2 Timothy 3.16, you all know it well. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. And therefore, Paul says... A few verses later in 2 Timothy 4 and verse 2, Preach the Word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all long-suffering and teaching. And so we preach, we teach, we warn, we reprove, we correct, we instruct, we convince, and we exhort with all patience. And we do it unable to personally change a single soul. So we do it by faith, trusting the Lord that He will be faithful to His Word, that He will not allow it to return to Him void. Brothers and sisters, the practice of service is primarily the ministry of the Word, whether it's from a pulpit or at the kitchen table or at the study table over there with the KYB ladies or over the phone or on Zoom like the ladies' evening study in our Luke Bible study, or across the back fence, or over a coffee. It doesn't matter where. It matters very much how. We preach God's Word. We teach God's Word in faith, trusting God that He will work the change in the listener. Our responsibility to serve faithfully by spreading His Word however you do it. It is the Lord's work to open the heart, to incline the heart, to awaken the listener from dead in sin to alive in Christ Jesus. Brothers and sisters, He was the servant of the Lord sent. He was the one prepared, sharpened like a sword, polished like the arrow shaft, hidden to the right time and then sent to ministry. He was the one who came as the Lord's servant to glorify the Lord. He was the one who went preaching and teaching the Word. That that was His primary ministry. And brothers and sisters in Christ, we as His people are the Lord's servants. We are not our own. We belong to Him. He is in the constant work of preparing us. And we we go through all of this by faith. So to recap it all, just as the servant's son was prepared by the Lord for service, so also we are prepared by God for the work of ministry. And I would add, continuously being prepared. Just as Christ, the servant's son, had a purpose to glorify the Lord as the Lord's servant, so also our purpose is to glorify the Lord as His servants. And just as Christ, the servant's son, proclaimed God's Word to Israel, so also we come proclaiming God's Word to the nations. And the way we do it all is faith. 
trusting in Christ. We trust Him as we go through the work of preparation. We trust Him as He has called us to be His servants. We trust Him. It's our faith in Him that glorifies Him. We trust Him as we preach the Word. And we trust Him to do His work in us and through us and to glorify His own name through us. My friend, brother, and sister in Christ, will you trust the Lord? And just before I close in prayer, I've got to go back to that salvation point again. For those of you who do not know Christ as Savior, trust the Lord. Wind back this message and listen to that part again. Give us a call. Contact us through the information attached to the, the YouTube channel and the website. We'd love to help you. If you're listening to this in church, Listen to this, then you're part of Noble Park Baptist Church and you're concerned, you're wondering about the state of your soul. Come and contact us that we might help you. Well, let's pray. Loving Father, we thank you and we praise you, O God, for your goodness and your grace to us. Father, we thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ, the servant of the Lord. He came not to be served, but to serve and give His life as a ransom for many. He came and set us a tremendous example as He took off His outer robe, wrapped Himself in a towel, and washed His disciples' feet. And He has washed us with His blood, cleansed our conscience. And we who once were slaves to sin are, have become slaves to righteousness. Father, we thank You and we praise You for our servant. And Father, we recognize at the same moment that we are Your servants. We are not our own. We belong to You. Father, use us. Continue to prepare us and shape us and sharpen us to be used by You in Your work of ministry. Father, we pray for a great change in all of our hearts. Father, we ask You for Your help and we give You thanks again, O God, for our time together in worship. And we do so praying in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.